G'day Church, it's uh, a, a wonderful opportunity for us to come back together and have the opportunity to re-record this message from last Sunday, uh, the 12th of September. Um, we were looking at our, our sixth week, our shift number three, in relation to our church transformation program that we've been working on now for that time. And uh, last week, I apologise for all of the internet issues and for those of you that uh, were able to stick with us and try and get through all of the cut-ins and cut-outs when it came to the microphone. Um, our sincerest apologies for that. We felt that it was necessary to go back through this and uh, and re-record it so that we've got it available there for any time that you want to go back and, and see what the Lord was saying to us on that day. I encourage you all to jump on that and be a part of what we're doing and keep up to date with, with what the Lord's sharing with us. Uh, the second thing I want to say is we're back at church this week and uh, we're looking forward to having as many of you as possible as we can fit into our our war room and uh, come and sit under the voice of the Holy Spirit and uh, his word and uh, be encouraged by what the Lord is doing in our season. So just a quick recap, we've, we've worked through uh, two and a half of these program of these shifts that we've been looking at as a church. Um, the, shift, the first shift was really this sense of uh, a power shift and um, we, we focused on the, the prayer, uh, being, becoming a praying community. And uh, the first two shifts, in fact, I feel have been extremely timely, prophetic for us as a church to really begin to focus in on the two, uh, in this season, and I believe in, in the entire church age have been the focus of the church, is that first is prayer, intimate time and relationship both with the Lord individually, as individuals and with the Lord corporately. And the second shift was the ability to uh, see a priority shift. Uh, so moving from prayer and uh, and praying for the church and praying for the community and praying for one another and all of that sort of stuff. Really, the second shift was a priority shift to becoming an evangelistic community. And uh, prayer and evangelism, as I was stay, saying, are two very distinct things that we can do to see faith, hope and love arise in Griffith and in our community. And, and these are our priorities. And really, in this time where we're at, these are our major focuses. And, and this week, I want to touch on a bit of those on Sunday as well. And, and then uh, the week prior, we were able to look at part A uh, of the first shift, which is um, a real program shift. And uh, you can see the little uh, pictures there of the, the two fingers, one hugging the other. That, that program shift is really about transforming and becoming, focusing on as a, becoming a caring community. And uh, that, that is what Jesus saw when he be, began to talk about the church and he began to release what he wanted for the church. A united church founded on grace and truth, seeing the outworking of faith, hope and love. We touched on our calling, our vision statement and how the celebration service, the, the first part of our meetings as a, as, a, as a body corporate really, the celebration service is vital to this and we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't take for granted the opportunities that we get on a weekly basis to gather together as as God's church as Christ's church in in this locality seeing that they're a priority to get to seeing that it's a it's a meeting that was set by the king of kings himself on a weekly basis to bring us together to hear from him and to celebrate his goodness in our lives and i feel that that there was a, a timely message for us even coming back for this week. And then uh, 
Just moving on now to part B, really, of, of this shift, a program shift, where um, you might recall the week before I was able to talk about a, a simple image of a bird in flight, and that a bird requires two wings. And the first, the first wing for us as the church is our celebration services, but, but a bird with one wing is, is not able to uh, fly and move forward. In fact, a bird with only one wing uh, will, will spiral and fall to its detriment. And, uh, and we don't want that. Jesus never uh, instigated that for his church. He never initiated that, sorry, for his church. And, and the second picture that came to me was like trying to row a boat across the lake. You'd get two oars and you could be rowing, rowing, rowing. But you take one oar, say you lost one oar, and you start rowing with your left arm and you start rowing, which is the one service a week, what happens is your boat starts to go around and around in circles. And when you're in that, in that kind of mode, when you're going round and around in circles, it's very, very easy to be inwardly focused. It's very, very easy to start to look internally. And your needs and your significant challenges and trials, they, they start to bear down upon us. And as you're pulling with that oar, it feels like you're trying to go further and further and further. But in fact, you're just going deeper and deeper around that same, same circle. And you're getting nowhere. And you're just, you're just like that bird, eventually you're going to give up. But the second wing or the second oar is, is extremely important for us to understand in this season. The celebration is characterized by enthusiasm, excitement, inspiration, and joy. There are many reasons to gather together, which include um, these six reasons that are on the screen now. Number one, to minister to the Lord in corporate prayer and worship. Number two, to receive teaching from God's word. Number three, to outwork our God-given corporate purposes. This is your, your left oar moving us through the water or the left wing of the bird that's flying. Number four, to fellowship broadly. These are the purposes of the celebration service number five to demonstrate our unity as a body of believers how how encouraging is it when you walk into a room full of people who think and believe and have the same faith and the same outworking of that faith in love and unity as you aspire to i think that's one of the most uh, encouraging things for me as a pastor and, and as, a, as an individual christian that belongs to a body to know that i'm not in this alone to know that I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are able to support me through whatever's going on. So do a demonstration of our unity of believers. Number six, to invite unchurched friends so that they can hear the gospel in a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere. And atmosphere is important, absolutely. The ability to be able to sing and praise God and let joy fill the room. The, the ability to pray and, and, and focus in on the good things of God. All of those things are important. But the very thing that causes atmosphere to gather and to be in the room, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is not all of those things in particular. Yes, they play a part of it, but ultimately it's where two or three are gathered in my name. Jesus promises that I am there in the midst. And I'm amazed at that because that can happen on the corporate level, the large scale, but it can also happen on the focus of this week, which is really our grow group program, our, the cell group, the small group, or in other words, the caring group of our church if we just stopped with the celebration service we'd be going round and around in circles and we would begin to see that um, 
many, many times people will become inwardly focused and interested in the things that only interest them. And that's, that's a danger in church circles. <clears throat> Here's a question that comes up um, in my thinking, but I know in, in your thinking as well at times. What is the ideal church size? Could it be the house church? Is, it, is, that, is that part of God's modelling? Well, in some cases it might be. A church may start with a small gathering in a house church. Um, but is that really the church? Is it an open meeting for the community? Is it a calling together of the saints within the broader sense? So, so what's the ideal size? Is it 30 people? You could, you could have a really nice community with 30 people, knowing everyone, caring for each other, absolutely. What about, what about the, the, the model of 120 in uh, the book of Acts where we see 120 of Jesus' most committed followers gathered in the upper room. Is that, is that the right size of the church? And for a long time, this church was around 120. We'd grow up to 150 and we'd come back to 120 because, you know, that's a mindset sometimes that we've got to break through, that 120 number. Uh, is, surely, is 300 the right number for a church? Is 300 ideal? Surely at 300 it is. You know, it's big enough to feel like you're something, you're part of something larger than yourself. There's enough volunteers to run the program so that our children's ministry can continue to grow, that you could feel welcome in the church. You know that we can have a nice meal or a cup of coffee on a Sunday, uh, that we can run um, the odd grow group here or there. All those things, that we can run a youth program on a Friday night or a young adults program, even a men's or a women's group. You know, you think about it, program, 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 volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. At 300, you just seem to have sometimes just enough volunteers to be able to run that kind of program. But what's the biblical model? What is right? What is wrong? Is there such a thing? Is it small? Is it medium? Is it large? Or could it even be the mega church model? Well, here are my thoughts. I think the church needs to be big enough where we are out on a limb trusting God. It needs to be bigger than yourself. It needs to be bigger than what you can imagine or dream. The church needs to be big enough that you are stepping outside of your comfort zone to see God step in, his grace abound, and his miracle-working power used and released through you. And I think that's in all circumstances, whether you live in a community of 300 or you live in a community of 3 million. The church needs to be big enough to have a vision for the community and to see God's will done. Putting yourself in that place where you have to trust God relying not on your own ability, not on my ability, not on the ability of your pastor or your leader or your elder or anything like that, but relying upon the ability of God who is able to give us dreams and visions and the ability to meet those needs within our community. It's his empowering presence and his authority at work. And that's the place where I believe that the church is meant to be. And each community is different. When we look at Pentecost, we see that the church in the early times, the, 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 the Bible records for us what that's like. In Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, we read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These 120 that were gathered in the upper room, they were in a place where they were hungry and reaching out for God because they knew they couldn't go anywhere without being with God and God empowering them. Jesus' exact words with them were, tarry in the city, tarry in Jerusalem until I have clothed you, clothed you with power from on high. So this is the scene. They're in the upper room. They're praying. They're reading scriptures. They're doing everything that is vital in a healthy church ministry. But when power came upon them, when the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, when the Holy Spirit moved like a mighty rushing wind, we see revival flow. So, like I said, is 120 the number? Well, it can't be. Because the very next, um, within the same passage of scripture, the same chapter, what we see is the number is relevant, but faith is the relevant thing. Peter moved, the apostle Peter moved in faith and stood up before his uh, Jewish brethren and, and, and declared the wonders of God. He spoke in faith and he put himself in the trust of his God and put himself on a limb and he shared the gospel in such a way. It was almost as bold as the day he stepped out of the boat and started to walk on the water. Think about that moment for Peter, what it would have been like as he was walking on water to his Lord Jesus. So what happens? Bang! The Holy Spirit comes into the room and empowers them. Peter preaches this amazing message and 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000 souls were saved. Snatched back, caught back from the flames of hell. They were, they were ripped out of the kingdom of darkness and they were put into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Jesus. So it's not about numbers. It's about faith. It's about the community. It's about what do we believe that God wants to do in and through us and what is his ability because God is able to do immeasurably more above what we can ask, think, imagine, dream, vision. 26,000 people in Griffith. Have we got a dream for them? God is interested in a church that is bigger than your comfort zone because he has the answer for the large and the mega large church. And simply, it's the right wing of the bird or it's the right oar that needs to be put in place when you're rowing the boat. It is the, the concept of small groups, caring groups that can feel like you belong. Acts 2, 42 to 47, the early church, this was their practice and they devoted themselves, and you hear this quite often because it's the model for us, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. <clears throat> and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the needs to all as any had need. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So 3,120 was definitely not the number because each day as they put their focus upon the Lord as they set their faith and their eyes toward heaven and they, their reliance, their dependence upon God, even 
in the midst of strong trial and tribulation. Like the Jewish church, in a sense, the, 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 the religious leaders were after them. They were trying to shut this movement down. Just look at what the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was doing to them, persecuting the church. This was an immense persecution, and yet the Lord added to their number every single day. So God's purposes cannot be achieved through the celebration event alone. This is why cell groups must feature, grow groups must feature within our lives as individual Christians and as a corporate body. Imagine what would happen if our church had no building, no place to meet, if the government completely shut down churches across this nation, just like they have done in, in, other, in communist countries. You know, just think about what happened in China. Is the church, there's a sanctioned church by the state and there's an underground church by the, uh, because they, they want to live according to what the word says and not according to what the government teaches. You know, they might not have buildings. We saw video evidence of churches across China being, being destroyed being detonated with, with TNT and bombs, and yet the church is thriving in that nation. The church is growing in that nation in the midst of persecution. And it's happening because the home church model, not necessarily, they try and gather as much as they can, but they are, they are gathering together with the small group all the time. Mark Connor says a good celebration alone, or sorry, a good celebration event alone does not make for a healthy growing church. This is because the limitations of the celebration event can be seen in these four things. Number one, close relationships cannot be built in a celebration event. Number two, not every person can receive personal care in a celebration event. Number three, not every person can contribute to the ministry in an event. A few can, the rest can sing and give an amen and can contribute to, to the needs of the body and, and to seeing the church's vision move forward. But, but it's usually limited to a number of few when it comes to the church event, except for the volunteers that are obviously contributing in a practical way to see the things going. And then lastly, there is no personal accountability to what is taught in the large event. There's no real way to personally disciple one another to find that group of two or three people or even an even bigger group and, and unpack the scriptures that you're talking about and, and pray into and be challenged in those things. All of these things can be achieved, though, in the small group gathering. So important, and these are so important things to do, discipleship, gathering, care, and all of those things, the accountability side of things. But, but what if persecution ever came? How, how vital is it going to be to have a welcome home sign over your own home? where half a dozen people can come into your home and you can sit down and read the word together and pray for each other and encourage each other in the times like that. In times like now, when at the moment you're only allowed five people in your home, how about we take the opportunity to grab five people that we know and bring them into our home, share a meal, break bread, speak about what the Lord's talking to us, pray with one another, encouraging each other and and I think so much more as we're moving toward the second coming of Christ I want to read this um, this passage here out of a book um, called the cell church let me just find that page quickly 
the cell church. Most churches tend to add more and more programs as they grow. Although each program may have a good cause, the end result is a very busy church schedule. Competition for resources, things like volunteers' budgets and space on the church calendar, and a lack of alignment of ministries. The cell-based church doesn't necessarily eliminate all the programs of the church. However, it provides the possibility of refocusing them through the small group paradigm. Christians network together in small groups can take on almost all of the ministries of the church in an extremely effective manner. It is important that we understand why the church should make this shift to cell groups. Here are some important reasons. There's 12. Let me quickly go through them. Cells are biblical. Cells promote true Christian community and quality relationships. Cells are the only way to pastor a growing congregation. Cells are the best way to disciple people. Cells are the best way to raise up new leaders. Cells are the best way to mobilise believers into effective ministry to one another and to the unchurched. Isn't that one of our focuses? Ministry is decentralised and delegated to high-performance teams of believers. And the cell group, the grow group, is able to do that. Grow groups, I've changed my language here for our, our purposes. Grow groups are the best way to assimilate new people, both visitors and new Christians. Grow groups prepare the church for the possibility of persecution. Grow groups brings simplicity to the ministry of the church. Many of the church's programs can be run more effectively through grow groups. In the last three, cells can reduce the competition between departments for volunteers. Grow groups build holistic ministry because evangelism, assimilation, care, service, prayer, training and multiplication can all be done through the one ministry program. And lastly, cells have helped the world's largest churches keep growing while still maintaining. So when we see uh, there's really four purposes to cell groups or to grow groups in our, in our view. And, and what happened in 2015 when I discussed this and we launched this as a church, uh, that was my role back then was the community pastor and, and I was looking at our grow groups and really trying to strengthen that kind of ministry because I believed in them and I thought it was God's purpose for us as a church even back then that we wanted to invest into that. And uh, what happened, these were the areas the four things that came up, and I, and you might remember that the the acronym that came from Grow, these are these are found in these four points. Let me share them with you. Firstly, uh, number one, I think I've got them on the screen for you. Number one, the second, the number one is this: the cell group or the Grow group is a ministry group. Everyone say that a ministry group is a place where Christians can develop and use their God-given gifts and abilities to help others. So we see there. The first letter of our G, which is gifts. The developing and understanding and even recognition of the gifts of the believer is really important when it comes to grow groups. Grow groups is a care group, and I really like that care group kind of sense. It's a place where Christians can gather together to care for one another through friendship, encouragement, and practical expressions of love and kindness. It's really hard to be practically kind to a thousand people. It's really hard to be practically loving kindness to a hundred people. But 
15 people and their kids, it's not too hard, 10, 15, whatever that number is, and their kids and their families, it's really a care group. And, and we see there that, that relationships is a massive focus of our grow groups, and that's the second letter in the word grow. Thirdly, a cell group is an outreach group, or a grow group is an outreach group, and how important is that in this time where, where we activate groups in their outreach potential, reaching out, bringing friends and neighbours to the Lord. And you've heard me say this on a number of occasions, having a spare seat or two in your, in your home that you can pray for often and say, Lord Jesus, help me to share the gospel. Help me, lead me to someone, Holy Spirit, that needs to know and is ready to respond so that we can see that purpose of outreach grow amongst our community. So that's the third letter of grow. We've got gifts, relationships, outreach. And the last one is W, worship. A, a grow group is a disciple-making group. And worship is not just the songs we sing on a Sunday. Worship is prayer. Worship is taking communion. Worship is reading of your scriptures. And discipleship is all part of that. Being together in the presence of God, praying for one another, encouraging, exhorting out of scripture, bringing correction at times when it's needed is an important part of our worship. It's that, it's that to kiss the hand, that surrender, that place where, where I'm reminded that I, I, I give my life to God and I surrender my all to Him. And it's the greatest place where discipleship, teaching and mentoring can be found. And that's the W of the Grow Group relation of worship. So we've got gifts, relationship, outreach and worship. Now of these four points... Uh, one's already been covered, and that is outreach in our first um, our first week. The second, uh, there's two more that we'll cover in the next few weeks, and uh, and uh, the, today I just want to really hone in on one of them, and that is the the grow group is really a care group. Everyone say that in your homes as you're listening to this. The grow groups are truly a care group, and if I'm looking for care, if I'm looking for support, and if I'm able to give and offer support, then that's really the best place to be able to be a part of that and uh, it's a place where Christians can gather together to care for one another through friendship, encouragement and practical expressions of love and kindness. This program shift requires us to see quality relationships as priority. People need to be connected to others in loving relationships that provide care, belonging and inspiration for personal growth. It also helps us to focus on the things that need to happen, that keeps us accountable to the things that, that we, we make as decisions by saying that we want to follow Christ and we want to become like him, we want to be conformed into his image and be transformed by the renewal of our mind. All of those things, the best place for that to happen is in a care group, a grow group. Mark Connor wrote this, he said, Our goal should be to see every person loved and cared for in such a way that they feel accepted, valued and have a sense of belonging. This is why welcome home is not just a catchphrase here at our church. It's why it's above the door. As you walk in, you look up and you see welcome home. It's not just a word. It's not just a thought. But what we had as a church before all of this lockdown was a real sense of anointing where people felt they belonged. And while, it's gone, while we've gone through this season of stop and start and, and all sorts of stuff, my prayer is... Let us not lose the anointing of belonging. 
not lose the anointing of that sense of we are, we are home and this is where God has called us to be. The leader or the shepherd of a grow group has the primary responsibility to ensure that his or her small group is a place where someone feels loved and cared for. So it's not just the prayer of the church, it's really the application of the church that we are able to see people released into this role of shepherding so that you feel loved and cared for. <clears throat> Belonging and love, they come from Christ. We, yet we have the privilege to offer hospitality to all who belong. And a grow group is the best way that this is expressed. It is from this position that we look at, accept and offer loving kindness. Ephesians 1.3, I really, really, really like this one. Ephesians verse chapter 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us, everyone say chose, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know you've been chosen? That means you belong. That means you're accepted. That means welcome home is, is part of God's extension of choosing you. That we should be holy and without blame before him. Having, again, here's another word, predestined us. God not only chose us, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, I love this, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That means in Jesus, when you call upon his name, you have been accepted into the family of God. We belong, amen? Here's some of the ways that we can show acceptance really quickly. It says... If I can find it, that is. I'll just read this line first. Our goal should be to see every person loved and cared for in such a way that they feel accepted, valued and have a sense of belonging. The leader of a cell group has the primary responsibility to care, as I've already said. And then there's these points. Seek and develop a quality relationship. Seek and develop a quality relationship with each person in your group. Is what you can do. Express interest in one another's personal and family life through asking questions and using active listening techniques. Really listen to people. It's one of the biggest skills that people don't develop in these days. We listen to answer back. We don't listen to hear and understand. If we listen to hear and understand, the Lord will give us the things to reply. Number three, encourage them to be warm towards one another through sensitivity and kindness. It's okay to have a differing opinion. But we need to be sensitive to those things and we need to show kindness in those areas. Number four, encourage them to be aware of what is happening in one another's lives. The issues, the challenges, the decisions, the things you're facing right now. And don't just become aware of them, partner with them and pray with them in those things. Number five, encourage them to help visit and pray for one another during times of need. The first place that you should call and reach out to is that care group of people because you're already in relationship with them. It's a primary care for you as an individual within the church. Encourage them, lastly, to meet together informally for a meal or a social event. And it's in those kind of things that you're able to invite people as your neighbours to come in and experience the genuine love of God that's happening in your group. 
I love that. I love that. I just want to move on a little bit quicker here is, is um, in this question, is the church a safe place? Is church safe for everyone that walks in? Is, or is it just too big? Is it too overcrowded? Is it too cluttered? Is it too noisy? All of those things. For some people that can be the truth. But, but really, each grow group can be a safe place for an individual or a family or whatever. We are all at varying degrees of maturity. And I love this, that the scriptures reveal this quite well. We're all seen as mothers and fathers or strong sons and daughters or growing children and infants in our spiritual life. 1 John says in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, it just goes on. It says, I'm writing to you, young men. And then I write to you, fathers, I write to you, young men. What we're seeing here is that there's a difference of maturity as uh, John unpacks this for us. Let me say this. We cannot be a caring community or a caring church unless each of us realises that behind the Sunday smile there are real people who may be struggling with real things. Number one, these are some of the things that you could be struggling with or people walking into our church or even into our grow group could be experiencing. Firstly, the addiction patterns, the addictive behaviours such as drugs, smoking, alcohol, gambling or even uh, the addiction to pornography. Number two, sin habits of pat or patterns of compulsive behaviour that are hard to break. You know, sometimes people walking around in their own shame, it's hard for them to break sin patterns. Number three, tra- traumatic experiences or hurts in the past may be hard for them to let go of and put behind. People can be triggered from something that affected their past and they can come out and react very badly or very poorly. Fourthly, Stresses and persistent problems that are hard to cope with. Like today, all the stresses in our world, all the things that are going on, and if you're just watching from a, from a news perspective, you're going to be stressed and full of anxiety. But yet if we get into our word and we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, he, he reveals the signs of the times and he reveals that he's got it all in control and our hope begins to rise. Number five, pain. Pain from traumatic events in the past like sexual abuse or um, immoral tendencies. And lastly, or even those things even happening even today if, if there's a person that's going through some sort of violence or something in their home. Number six, broken relationships, um, in particular separation and divorce. And uh, those broken relationships, the, the, the fear of of how people are going to look at me now that I'm no longer married or now that I've got my problems are all open for the world to see. And, and, and leading into the signs of what's happening now, um, this is a strong word, it's, it's you being used at the moment, the social leper, the person that might not be welcome into particular places. How are we, how are we going to treat them if our motive is love and grace? So many people are broken and hurting. Many people are on different levels of maturity when it comes to their faith. <clears throat> Where do they go? What do they do? Well, if church isn't a safe space, what they could do is, uh, is one of two things. They, they could fake it and pretend to have it all together. And they put on that, that fake Christian smile, the Sunday smile. Do you know the one I'm talking about? But eventually what, what, they will give up and quit on the church 
and eventually they'll give up on God because they'll, 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 they'll be like that person in the rowboat with only one arm, one oar working. They're going round and around and around in circles. They'll be looking at the storms and the trials of their life and they'll be saying, God, where are you? And they'll start to point fingers and they'll blame the individuals or even the church itself and they'll walk away from the church and never find that place where they've been cared for and loved into the kingdom. The, last, the second thing you can do is they can admit that they are struggling and receive acceptance and help in a loving community. Um, and that's what we're supposed to specialise in. That's what we're called to be. Grow is the way to open people up to, being, to seeing and encountering genuine, loving relationships. Church is ultimately a refuge and we're meant to never turn anyone away. Could you imagine the early church turning away the widow? Sinner can find forgiveness. Where the broken can find that their hurts are healed. Where the, where the sick become, are made well. Where the dying are, are, are loved in our place of the kingdom of God. And those who are separated from Christ can, be, can encounter the loving relationship of Jesus and their relationships being restored to a father who cares. That's who we are and that's who we're meant to be. There's lots of other ideas we can share around this. For me, the grace and truth idea is the biggest one. It's the most interesting. Mark Connor wrote, As we develop relationships with other people, we must constantly balance grace and truth. As you have heard me say often, Jesus was full of both. And you can find that in John 1.14. Truth focuses on the ideal world and on things such as absolutes, law, standards, righteousness, holiness, Godliness, character, oh sorry, yeah, character, convictions, ethics and morals. That's what truth focuses on. Yet grace focuses on the real world and on things such as love, forgiveness, acceptance, care, encouragement, compassion and help. Our help, we're supposed to be full of both. Absolutely focused on the convictions and the development of character and, and holiness and godliness. But at the same time, offering love and acceptance, offering encouragement, being a compassionate people. Because it was compassion that drove Jesus to go and heal the sick. It was compassion that made Jesus go and feed the hungry. It was compassion that drove Jesus to come and to be born in a manky stable and live a life that you and I can be saved. It was Jesus' compassion. And we're meant to reflect that in all ways. Truth without grace, it results in harshness, legalism, condemnation and fear. And I can tell you, people are pulling back from those of you that are trying to share truth constantly. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Wake up. This is the truth. I'm telling you, they're not hearing you because it's not coming with love and grace. You might say, I am doing it out of love, but the reality is people are feeling conviction and condemnation. Truth can be seen 
as legalism, condemnation, harshness and fear. On the other hand, grace without truth, being too gracious and not bringing the truth into the situation, well, it only results in compromise and hypocrisy. And I think I'm talking to the right people when I say we never want to be people who are compromised in our faith, compromised in our belief, compromised in what we believe in Scripture, or even living a life of hypocrisy. So the need to be like Jesus, being conformed into the image of Christ, being like him, full of grace and truth. And when we fail, being humble and honest and repentant before our Lord, because he will restore. We must, uh, this must be understood if we're going to continue to grow and see us become that caring community Jesus has envisaged. How can we have welcome home on our entry if we're not seasoned with grace and truth, salt and light, character and love? So one way we can demonstrate this is helping people. When people fall and fail, just say they, they fall from grace. How do we respond? Do we condemn? Do we judge? Or do we ridicule, causing them further embarrassment? Do we point the finger at them? Or do we reach out in a spirit of love and un, um, of, of reconciliation and redemption? Proverbs tells us through a righteous Though a righteous person falls or trips up seven times, that's seven times, they will rise again. The focus of that is not the seven times. The focus of that passage is they will rise again. We have to look beyond the fall and help them to rise again. That's Proverbs twenty four sixteen. This can only happen in a community where grace and truth are found. This happens the best in grow groups, people in relationship, encouraging, praying, helping and forgiving others. It could also happen in your team environment for the team that you volunteer for, the worship team or the, the kids' ministry or the, 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 the kitchen team or the ushers. It can happen in there and you can find love and care and support in those areas as well. But the grow group is the best place for you to unpack all of these things. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual, this is the mark of the spiritual, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think sometimes we're more scared that their sin's going to rub on us and we're going to fall as well than we are to step into the situation to reach out our hand and say, brother or sister, let me help you up. We need to be strong in conviction in the word. We need to allow the anointing of the Holy Ghost to overflow us so that, that no sin can touch us, that no sickness can touch us, but we need to be compassionate to reach down to those who have fallen into the ditch. Matthew 18, 15-17 should become and must become our default to see a fostering of a caring community. Matthew 18 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. That's a gracious thing to do. It's also a truth thing to do. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take it to two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
How many times do people come to their pastors and dob on someone else or pastor, I'm hurt. Shepherd, I'm hurt in your grow groups. And yet we haven't fulfilled the law of Jesus, which is to go to your brother, the loving, gracious thing to do, your sister. Then Jesus says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Some things sometimes when the church gets involved, they just they just get out of hand because it's too heavy-handed in the sense that it's the wrong pattern. But you can go and make it right with your brother or sister even today. You could go tell your brother or sister their fault. Most of the time they don't even know they've done it. And forgiveness can flow, love can flow, grace can flow. And you can win back your brother. I don't want to talk any more on that, but the church has ways and means that they have to do and fulfill those things sometimes when, when someone's unrepentant of the sin. And there are times that churches have to make those decisions and together the church must follow through the, the things of Scripture, the, what Scripture lays out as the pattern to follow. But those things can often be avoided if the individual would take the responsibility to go first to their brother. Let's recognise the problem and let's move forward so that we can be that loving and caring community that we're called to be. Three passages of scripture. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. You can look that one up. Titus 1, 13-14 is another one. And Titus 2, 15a is another. There's some things there that help us unpack that very point. Sometimes people struggle with problems and difficulties that are beyond the average Christian or grow group leader to help. This is where the development of Christian counsellors, good people who can uh, learn some necessary skills to help people unpack this in their life and help them to become victorious. These are necessary, I believe, in seeing a church become a caring community. And I think the Lord's starting to prompt some of our people, even as you're under my voice today. The Lord's starting to prompt you. If you've got a dream for the Lord to help you unpack this for others, there's a natural tendency for people to come to you and, and share with you things and they're asking for your responses, then, then I'd encourage you. It's time to maybe say, Pastor, I want to get qualified. I want to pursue this. God's given me a gift and I want to see this fulfilled so that the church entirely can benefit. Come and talk to us. Let us know what God's doing in your heart. Ultimately, this whole point can be summed up as love in action, which the New Testament speaks of constantly. Amen? And uh, we can look at other things around that, but I must move on. Each individual Christian is responsible to make church a caring community of people, and the health and growth of the church is directly related to the way that you and I treat each other. Church, in concluding all of this, let me say this. The church is not an event. It never has been, it never was. You don't sit in the pews eating popcorn. We don't provide that. We don't put on entertainment. We genuinely put on what we believe the Lord is encouraging us in Scripture to do. We sing worship. We offer in worship our givings and tithes. We take communion, gathering in worship around the Lord's table. We give thanks. We pray. We share the scriptures. 
who minister in the power of the Holy Ghost. They're our events. They're not, they're not the sense of going to the football. It's not about entertainment. It's about a celebration of God and him calling us in. It's not a crowd. It's not an audience. You participate when you're at church. You stand with us. You raise your hands with us. You, you put into the offering plate with us because when you belong to a family, you contribute. You pray for one another. This is the celebration event. We, but we need the opportunities to unpack this and unfold this, what the Lord's doing in our life. And that's where the grow group comes in. Church is a community of people joined together through loving relationships that heal and restore. This kind of church community will bring transformation to people's lives and present an answer to our needy world. Together, we must make a program shift in order to help to transform our church and our community. Let's make this practical for us and let's put it in a way that things that each of us can individually apply in application around this. An action plan for us. Sorry about the little thing there in brackets. Don't worry about reading that. It says in verse, in number one is this. Make an effort to meet someone new when you come to church or reach out to someone you don't know very, very well at all. Reach out to them. Talk to them. You might see someone you've never seen before and don't go and embarrass yourself and say, is this your first time here? Just introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Steve. It's lovely to see you here today. Would you like to tell me a little bit about yourself? Just nice, friendly, welcoming conversation. You know, this is the priority, and it says there, you can see it in the brackets. This is the priority of all of your pastors. Praise the Lord, we've got wonderful pastors in the church. And while they are operating and ministering in many, many ways, their number one capacity after the services are finished is to get around, try and get on the door and say goodbye to people. Buy someone a coffee. Get around and make someone feel welcome. Try and touch base with the newer people and get to know them and offer support. Absolutely, we offer ministry from the front. But even, even to see it as the same, to go and introduce yourself and meet someone. you know. But what happens generally on a Sunday morning is a lot of the times people want to bring their concerns to the pastor and that's not the right time. If we had a grow group network that was effective and moving forward, they're the places to often bring those concerns so that a group of people can get around and encourage and nourish and, and support the things that are going on. Sunday morning is a celebration and you and I together as mature Christians should be on the lookout to make people feel welcome, feel loved, feel cared for. Can I encourage this church to do that? Secondly, I'm putting this out there because I, I would love everyone to take this up. Get involved in a grow group in our church and contribute to it. Don't just be a attendee. Contribute to it. Bring the bickies. Make the cup of tea. Bring a scripture. Share a testimony. Offer to pray for someone. Whatever it is, contribute to it as the Lord leads you and according to your gifts. I think that's really important, church, to understand. And if we don't have enough grow groups, then I'm putting Pastor Jamie and Pastor James and Amy, I'm putting them on notice because we want to see more grow groups in the church. Amen? 
Number three, invite people to your home for a meal or a time of fellowship. As you do this, absolutely invite a family friend, the friends that you like to hang out with, but keep a place open for the new person. Bring them into your circle. Look for new people to invite and to get to know because that's part of your role and my role together as individual members. Number four is this. Read books on the subject of relationships and develop an ability to relate to the wider variety of people. You know, we've got to take have some skin in the game. here. We've got to look to educate ourselves and not just live off one meal a week, but listen to the... Listen to scripture, read scripture, allow it infiltrate, read good books that that help you unpack the concepts that the Lord's leading you in. Number five, learn to ask questions. Be a good listener. Take a genuine interest in people. Number six, make a list of people who are on the fringe of the church. And if you don't know who they are, possibly talk with one of our pastors. They might be able to point you in the direction. But, But make a list of these people. Call them. Spend some personal time with them. Take them out for a coffee. Sit on the side of the canal with them and feed the ducks. Do something to show that you care. Try to help them connect with other Christians within the church. Number seven. It's a good one, I think. Develop yourself. Work through your own hang-ups. You may have from previous negative experiences. Keep a short account. Open your heart before the Lord. Be repentant before him and be open enough that the Holy Spirit can do a deep, deep work in our lives. It's a key to transformation. This one, uh, this will give you more confidence in relating to other people because they're not going to judge you if you're not judging yourself. Number eight, resolve any offences that you have. This is a big one and I think this week is going to be a good time. Make a commitment to keep a clear conscience so that you can go to sleep every night knowing that no one has the has anything against you and that if they did that you've taken care of it lastly number nine learn some basic counseling skills read a good book or attend seminar equip yourself to help other people with their problems and their struggles and i'll tell you what if there was a groundswell of people saying we want help we want help we want to know how to do this we do have access to a program that's called Counseling God's Way. And maybe we can run that seminar for people to just get those basic skills of being able to talk and hear and listen in those moments the way God wants us to, as good shepherds or good under-shepherds, I should say. Church, that's, that's our message and our wrap for this week. It's the two wings of our bird, the greater corporate gathering and the weekly gathering in our homes very important to us and very important for us to keep moving and getting momentum and seeing the Holy Spirit move forward in the things that he's doing in our church. Let me pray for you. Father, today we thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you for the focus that you have taken us through, these three shifts that needed to take place so far. Number one, our focus to become a praying community. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that that are unfolding before us even now and look forward with excitement and anticipation for your next lead in this area. Second shift, Lord, was becoming a, an outreach community. Lord, we thank you that that is, is right there and right now and it's becoming even more urgent because we know the signs and seasons of the time that we're in. 
Father, would you lead us by your Holy Spirit to the people who are willing and wanting to know more? And today and last week, Lord, we were able to see this third shift of becoming a caring community. Understanding, Lord, that we're both called to be here in attendance, Lord, to a very important meeting that is called by Jesus himself. To not forsake that meeting, as it says in Hebrews 10, but at the same time, Lord, to not just put all of our eggs in one basket, but to develop and grow together in a small group setting. To be encouraged and being accountable one to another. To pray for and, and teach and disciple and learn and to know that we're cared for. Father, I pray for our church that this season we will draw even closer and tighter together in unity in the bond of peace. Holy Spirit, will you fill our hearts, fill our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless your church. I thank you for taking the time out of your week again to have a listen to this and maybe the Holy Spirit might have you listen to the rest of the messages in our series so far and just remind you again what we're talking about and keeping us moving forward in the same direction together as one. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Over and out.